Hey, good people. I'm your host, Akio Cole, and you're listening to Community Blooms. Community Blooms brings you refreshing, inspiring, and hopeful stories from real people in different communities working to protect the environment, educate those around them, and improve the health of their communities. Community Blooms is a podcast by the Community Ecology Institute, or CEI, a nonprofit organization based in Columbia, Maryland. The mission of CEI is cultivating communities where people and nature thrive together. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. Kiara Diamore and Veronica Adler from the CEI about their experiences in environmental work and connecting with nature. Dr. Diamore is the executive director over at the CEI, and Veronica is the community engagement coordinator. Besides today's conversation, you can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. This episode was recorded in March, Women's History Month, so part of our discussion revolved around our guests' perspectives as women in the environmental space. Lastly, this episode will be released on April 22nd as one way you can commemorate Earth Day. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of our podcast. Today, I have two very important guests with us from the Community and College Institute. First, we have Dr. Kiara Diamore. So Dr. Diamore is the Executive Director at the Community Ecology Institute. She holds a PhD in sustainability education, teaches graduate courses, and has worked as an environmental consultant for more than 13 years. If you want to learn more about Dr. Diamore, you can visit her website at kiaradiamore.com, which I will link to in the show notes. In addition, we have Veronica Adler, who is the community engagement coordinator over at CEI, and she coordinates the high school interns over at the Institute. She is a student at the University of Maryland, where she's involved with the co-ed acapella group FOPAS. Did I pronounce that right? FOPAS? Awesome. And the, uh, the University of Maryland Health Center. Is it okay if I link your social media? Um, to this? Yep, that's totally fine. So I'll be linking both of their social medias to the show notes. So yeah, thank you so much for joining me uh, for this episode. I'm really excited for our conversation. I know the listeners will love it. So yeah, thank you. So my first introduction to like actual hands-on environmental work was really through Dr. Diamore um, when she came to my class in the fall. Before that, I had literally just been reading about things. And when she came in and talked about the Freetown Farm and the CEI, my mind was blown. So in that vein of you know, introducing people to environmental work. Can you two describe how you got involved in the environmental space and the community organizing space? Dr. Diamore, we can start with you. I really trace it all the way back to my childhood. I think um, we look at generational changes. I was probably at the tail end of the generation of kids that were just told to go outside and play after school um, and who were expected to come home dirty. And I, from that, have a really personal and deep relationship with nature. And that led me to all of my schooling being in the environmental field and then going into um, the profession of environmental consulting, which I did for 13 years. So for me, it started out really personal. I just shared a picture of a tiny little flower that's coming up in lawns all the time. Right now, kind of in that early March timeframe. And I remember being my kid's age and like laying on the grass and seeing this tiny flowers and so it kind of started that level and then it became very academic and it became very cerebral and so the community ecology institute was an effort to bring it back around full circle to actually getting down and dirty and being community and feeling connected with nature again yeah my my journey was similar so i've been traveling my parents have done an amazing job of raising me in nature connected to different cultures different different landscapes different everything just get kind of getting a taste of everything i'm very connected to the water um i've been scuba diving since i was 11 and that's been a huge influence in my life when i really started thinking about environmental work it was when i showed up to an unnamed farm that was near the high school atherton high school where i had just recently graduated from i'd seen a facebook fundraiser for someone who had had a long life dream of, of owning a farm and, and starting a community space. And I just kind of showed up and I met Kiara. And from I, I remember the tour that she gave me of the space so, so vividly. It was 
everything that we have on the farm now and are working on, but there was nothing there. It was completely empty. There was, it was just weed and it was just her walking around talking about this vision that she had. And that had never happened to me before where I had heard someone's idea that much and been so like, I just, I just believed in it and I could see exactly what she was thinking. It like sparked something totally new that I had never connected with since I was a kid. And well, I've literally been at the farm since <laughs> like I've, I came back the next day and the next day. And then I was like, Hey, could I possibly be an intern? Could I make this? And then from the internship, I started working here and I plan on working here until, until something, until I find another calling, but I can't really, it's hard to imagine myself not being at the farm. It's such an amazing place. So I attribute my environmental journey and my ability to reconnect back with my roots and with nature to this amazing woman that is on this call um, entirely. So that's, that's my story for that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I want to talk about going full circle. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that is quite the origin story. This should be like a CEI superhero and it's just like modeled after Dr. Dumore. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I did run a 5k a couple of years ago and it was like a superhero 5k so I like made a little cape and it was this whole like nature scene on my cape so oh, you already did it strong. it's already yeah. a thing <laughs> got our t-shirts we can make capes too wow. I can imagine there was someone watching that being like I want to be like that that is who I want to be speaking of that you know in terms of insp- inspiration like you've personally inspired me both of you Veronica you've been inspired by Dr. Moore, and just connecting it back to the theme of nature can either of you imagine or remember like a key moment in your childhoods that you were connecting with nature in which you were like, I don't know, it entered your consciousness. It wasn't just something that you did, but something entered your consciousness about your connection to nature. One of the places um, we lived when I was young was a, a small farm in Illinois. We moved every year until we landed in Columbia, Maryland, which is where the farm is. And so for me, nature was literally my common ground. The you know the house was different every year. The neighbors was different every year. The school was different every year. But I could always kind of go sit up against a tree or look at what was happening in the grass or look up at the sky and feel that continuity. But it's really when we lived on this farm and we were there for maybe a year and a half and I was in second grade, so eight, which is my daughter's age. So it's kind of funny how we're going to keep talking about full circles here, I guess. That place is just incredibly um, imprinted in my heart and in my consciousness, the idea of having a farm has been something I have um, aspired to ever since. I was probably happier there than I've been any place else other than Freetown Farm now. There was something about, we had goats and chickens or something about having the animals and being able to play with them. And there was a small stream on the farm and willow trees. And I just really felt deeply rooted there and very much at home and at peace on, on that land in particular. And so I have actually wanted to have my children have that experience and have the experience of having a place where we could grow some food and have some animals and feel um, like there was space that we could help to steward and tend and care for beyond just like a, a tiny little patch of land. But really every single place I've lived since then, even dormitories in college or little, you know, urban apartment settings, I've always grown something and it might've just been some, some, you know, basil in a, a planter or something like that. But there's been something that happened at that time being on the small farm that has just really put down roots in, in who I am. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. I love that. That's so, it's it, it's one of those heartwarming stories that that inspires you to reflect and think on your own stories. And for me, I I was definitely more connected to the to the water again. Like I, I, my happy place was very much in the ocean, inhaling salt water. And like as a kid, just like jumping through waves. And when I started scuba diving, that was, that was, I mean, it was an entirely different world. Quite literally was the other side of everything I'd ever known. And I remember my dad took me on a manta ray dive. One of the most, if not the most beautiful experience I've ever had in my life. And I was surrounded by like 22 giant manta rays. These are like huge, like way over a ton or something like that, like giant manta rays. And it was just one of those moments where you realize that there's so much more out there than what you're kind of led to believe when, when you go through public education. That's very much like you grow up, you get a job, you have a family, and then that's it. Like it, it's like a, it was a very 
heartwarming and and grounding experience. And I think since then, I've really started to shift my values towards what really matters to me, moving away from materialistic, commercial, superficial things that I, are so present everywhere else um, in the world. And, and, and that common thing has been with people and in nature, whatever that is for individuals, for each person, whether it's water or earth or whatever it is. And one of those moments that reconnected that made me have that same feeling was I was volunteering at Freetown Farm I think before it was Freetown Farm, we still hadn't picked a name. And Kiara was driving a truck full of dirt that we were going to dump somewhere. It was sitting on a tarp. And I like asked if I could hop in the back. And she was like, of course. So I like, I hopped in and we were just driving on the farm. We weren't going anywhere, but I was sitting there like in dirt. And I just had my hands and my feet in dirt. And I was like, cheesing. Like I was totally grinning like crazy. I was having so much fun. And I was like, I, I felt like a little kid again. And I was like, there, this is the most magical feeling in the world. I'm literally sitting in a truck full of dirt. And yes, this, this is like one of the best moments of my life. Like, and it was so crazy. And I've been chasing that ever since. And you have a very special relationship with that truck. I love that truck. I have so many connections to that truck. It's like, I, it's just, yeah. That, but that was, that was one of those moments that when I think of, and I think Kiara took a picture of me. That's one of my favorite pictures I've ever seen of myself. Yeah. I just never smiled like that. And it was so weird to see myself smiling like that, just sitting in a truck like with worms and dirt. And I think for a lot of people, they're totally disconnected from that. Like the idea of finding joy in that is like, oh, it's bizarre. Like we, we're so distanced from that. And yet when we're in those contexts and we see this with so many people who come out to the farm, it sparks a childlike joy in everyone, no matter what field they're in, what job they have, what their history or background is, there's something that's uniquely like that's that's so human about being connected with nature that I think is, yeah, I think it just connects everyone who's at Freetown Farm. I kind of went off on a little tangent there, but there's so many moments at Freetown Farm that continue to inspire and and cement that connection I have with nature. Yeah. I can't necessarily say from a point of view of experience that like I know exactly what you're talking about, but simply hearing your stories and the way you translate your passions um, and your experiences makes me feel, you know, at least a sliver of what you're feeling. And it's one of the reasons why, like, I wanted to get involved with the Freetown Farm. Even if it was through a laptop for the next six months, I want to have a hand in this. I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me was, like, during um, Dr. Dunmore's um, presentation at my, my class, it was, like, upwards of 90% of our time before the pandemic was spent inside. And I was like, before the pandemic, what do you mean? <laughs> and then like that thought, the pandemic. And I was like, I just got off the phone like a couple of days ago with a friend who literally took 27 steps in an entire day. Like the entire day she took 27 steps. And I was like, you have a lot of loyalty to your bed. <laughs> we, we, we laughed about it, but it's like, it's really like this, this huge societal force that's pushing away, pushing us away from from nature, from fresh air, from the earth, from water, from all these things that over our, our species history, we've always had some sort of connection to. And I think places like Freetown Farm, from what I've read, experienced and you know, things secondhand, like really will bring people closer to that childlike joy you experienced. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. So this is gonna be another sort of big question. And I know there's a lot of directions both of you can go with this, but what type of work do you to do now? Let's start with you, Dr. Diamore. I like to joke that I do everything from taking out the trash to writing the grants, to doing the taxes, to you know, engaging the community. I really- um, It's not really a joke though. <laughs> it's not a joke. I'm getting more and more help. I do everything that Veronica doesn't do much. Um, so she manages the interns and really leads our volunteer work as the community engagement coordinator. But as a really small grassroots organization, and because I started it, and it's a labor of love for me, like from go, if it was going to happen, it was because I was going to do it. And I'm so grateful that there are so many more people who are part of it. And now that's a team of two, and we do have a wonderful board of directors and interns and the volunteers and some um some educators for some of our programs but it's still kind of at the end of the day if it has to get done and there isn't somebody else who's assigned to do it i gladly do it 
I'm trying to put some boundaries on that though, because you have to actually have self-sustainability too, to have um, sustainability in the world. But I, I, I do all the things and it's really interesting. I think 2020 has sort of become a bad word, but um, there's also, you know, hindsight is 2020. And if I look back at accumulation of my life experiences, they've really positioned me incredibly well to be able to do that. It's kind of a gift and also fairly unique to have a job that asks you to be so um, hands-on, but then also operate at a really high level financially or in terms of writing and in terms of coordinating a lot of moving parts and things I didn't really enjoy or maybe understand why I was doing them in the past. Um, some things with school or some things with previous jobs I've had actually set me up to be able to um, be nimble in those ways and have like the, just the tools and the resources I need to do this. So the thing I just finished right before we got on the phone was sending out an email with our annual report. And that was a, a really exciting moment. Our annual report for 2020 was 24 pages long. And I feel like it could have been longer because there was so much to celebrate. You know, there's so many people to thank, so many organizations that we partnered with, so much to celebrate, even in the context of a truly hard year. So that was one thing. So that's, you know, a lot of writing and a lot of uh, kind of coordinating and logistics to tell that whole story. Before that, if I just think about today, the thing I did right before that is I got off the call with a potential funder, um, a foundation for which we are going to be putting an application to request funds for a capital campaign to do the renovation of our um, building on the farm. The farm has a, a barn, sort of, I put air quotes around barn. It looks like a barn. It, was intended to be a residence that was never finished. And so that'll be our office and education space. I'm out there, you know, pounding the pavement, looking for people that want to support the, the renovation of that building. So we are able to operate from someplace other than um, like picnic tables and porta potties, which would be super wonderful. Like everything that we did in 2022, that was in that annual report, had like no office space. It's like Veronica and I on our couches or people sweating in the farm, hitting the, the woods or the porta potties nature called, you know, um, that sort of thing. So, and then, you know, the thing I did right before that today is just today has been full. I talked with a, um, a film documentary maker because I really want a documentary about the work we're doing at the farm. I think it's a story that is inspiring and relevant more so than ever. So just kind of planting seeds to see what might be possible there. And then I met with a contracting company this morning about stormwater infrastructure construction that'll be happening on the farm. So, it's just a lot. So in summary, she does it all and she does it all. <laughs> so that's, that's today. So that gives you the today's a good snapshot of like what what it looks like. She's definitely a wonder woman. But yeah, I mean, she yeah, it's true. She pretty much does everything I don't do. What I'm doing is pretty much connecting youth, connecting different groups, trying to get as many people as possible to to feel these connections and to mobilize themselves and feel empowered to, I mean, fight climate change, for example. Like we have an amazing team of interns who are all, I mean, they're like, they're like petitioning and, and doing like, they're like testifying to the county to get things approved and, and certain things banned and get new policies pushed. I mean, they're just like really incredible, incredible students who, you know, I, I want to kind of enable that journey of theirs to continue in any way possible getting people from diverse groups um, who haven't really had the opportunities to connect with nature in the way that um, a lot of other people have it's definitely a privilege to be able to take the time to connect with nature and do that I, I mean there are people who just haven't had who don't have the lifestyles or haven't had the opportunity to do that so intentionally forming relationships and connections with community groups and people from different backgrounds to make everything that we're doing at Freetown Farm accessible and make it something that is not just for families who can afford a community garden or for individuals who can afford a community plot or something like that. You know, that's, that's really what inspires my work. I, that's really, really meaningful to me. And yeah, it's pretty much coordinating volunteers and all the stuff that gets forwarded to my inbox and and just trying to do everything I can to alleviate work from Kiara and, and keep Freetown Farm running and growing. It's pretty amazing. 
So I would say that on Veronica's first week on the job, literally, she had a project that she was coordinating on the front page of the local newspaper. So <laughs> like the woman is a powerhouse and incredibly impactful in what she does. Um, like that's not an exaggeration, it's a factual statement. First week on the job, front page of the newspaper. So we are blessed. Once again, I'm just reminded of how much of an honor it is <laughs> to have a conversation with the two of you. I just feel like I'm talking to a pair, a pair of titans and that's like really cool. <laughs> Veronica, your, your, your explanation about um, the importance of intentionally, intentionally seeking equity is something that's really come into mind as I've been exploring like classes at my, at my school because it never really occurred to me not having really engaged in the um, environmental or even ecology space, like the disparity in opportunity to even engage. Like I think about at my own high school, and I went to a public high school here in um, my, in um, Miami, specifically Hialeah, um, and like we had like this little garden near the front. But like the people that tended to that garden were all the advanced placement kids, um, and those advanced placement kids usually were the ones that had access to transportation after the school, that didn't have to take care of family members or so on and so forth. And it was like that with other things, but I never thought it applied to the environmental space, and it's. As I've been getting more and more, not acculturated, but just more and more engaged with the, the CEI space, I realized that it's a really big part of the mission. And I appreciate that, especially, I don't think I've mentioned this in, in the other recordings, but like as, as a young Black man, it, it does mean a lot because um, when I look at my classes and I look at the spaces I'm trying to engage in, I'm usually the only Black person there. And that's not necessarily a limit. It's just like, you know, that my peers and people coming after me, you know, now I have something to work towards. Um, and knowing that there's people like you two that are like champion that I'm just like, yes, <laughs> on top of that, this is happening. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. Big thank you. One other thing real quick to add to that is just the people who are most affected by climate change and are minority groups. I mean, or people of in who live in lower income communities, like the people who are most affected by this are the people who also can't afford to connect the most with the positive aspects of it. So all of the plants that are polluting entire communities or that don't have clean water, they're put in these lower income communities and the people who can afford to leave, leave. And it, it's a pretty vicious cycle. Um, and so getting people, I mean, we don't have as much of that problem in Colombia, even though it has its, you know, its issues getting people connected and just aware and just making that education and that space available for everyone is definitely a an active work in progress and we're by no means perfect but but actively keeping that at the front of our minds with every interaction every communication every connection that we we grow is is really important absolutely That's absolutely right in that vein in, in terms of not just in terms of access but in relation to access it's no surprise that 2020 and the first part of 2021 has been characterized by a pandemic. So can you two speak to the challenges, the unique challenges that have come with working on Freetown Farm and CEI in this pandemic? I think we've been incredibly fortunate. Um, as a young organization, when we just turned five um, at the beginning of this year with a new property that needed a ton of work when we um, became the stewards of the farm. It had been dormant for several years, you know, as Veronica mentioned, it was, it was fairly overgrown. You couldn't really see a vision for it being a community learning farm or a, a really vibrant place of common ground. And so the real slowdown that the pandemic forced upon everyone um, also created an opportunity for us to really just focus on being on the farm and working towards that transformation. Um, we had a lot of visions for programming that we either, there was programs that we have run in the past that we weren't able to continue due to the need to social distance. There's programs that we had envisioned you know, investing time and energy into that we really couldn't because it just wouldn't have been um, a safe, effective thing to do during a pandemic. So what we could do is give people a safe place that they could go outside and feel really welcomed and connected to community um, you know, masked and socially distanced, but we had over 500 different people come out last year, which for us kind of a small new place is a lot. And I think Veronica, correct my numbers if I'm wrong, but it was like over 14,000 hours of 
time. So those people mostly didn't just come like one and done. They came regularly and it became a bit of, um, I think a bit of a sanctuary from the intensity of the isolation and from the expectation for all like interactions to be screen-based. So I don't know if that would have happened in the same way if it had been business as usual. I mean, there were a lot of people who had more time on their hands than they ever had before and were really looking for something um, to, to do that felt meaningful and connected during that time. And then it really also motivated us to see how we could be a part of the solution. So there was giving people a space to go where they could have the, you know, the mental and physical health benefits of being outside, but then it kicked us into high gear in terms of growing as much food as we could for those who are really hurting um, right now from COVID. There's a, a sister organization um, set in a kind of like a loving collaborative um, sisterhood way that started in response to the pandemic where they were trying to, to fill the real gaps that there are in terms of access to food um, for those who are really on um, the fringes of financial security. And that's called Columbia Community Care. And it's a part of a, a nonprofit here called Equity for HC. And so they just did like pop up, like immediate, uh, like pop up food pantries at most of the elementary schools. So for people who maybe never had to, to access the, the, the larger institutional food pantries before and wouldn't have been able to get to them or, or know how to get to them. These were places that were providing food right in the middle of every community, walking distance to people at the elementary schools. And so we really wanted to grow for them. We really wanted to grow to be able to have food that people could just come onto the farm and get. And so that emphasis on how much food can we grow this year for the community um, had more urgency than it would have if it hadn't been for the pandemic. I think those are the the two big things that we could do. And then, then a lot of other organizations were looking for, I think maybe new types of partnerships that they perhaps would have looked for in a time where things were just going on um, as originally scheduled, right? There's nothing was as originally scheduled. And so there was the opportunities that were created um, for people to come together in different ways. So it was silver linings, right? I think that there were silver linings for, for, for us as an organization do. Um. Yeah, I completely agree. I think for me, one of those silver linings is that I started actually working at CEI. So I had been an intern um, at CEI and I had been kind of commuting every once in a while to work with student groups that I was organizing from Athleton, from College Park at the University of Maryland. Um, and when everyone went, when the pandemic started, it kind of gave me I started realizing how much more I wanted to be at the farm. And like, this was, it was, it was so therapeutic in a time that was so chaotic and, and challenging for everyone on so many different levels. Um, and I think one of the challenges in general of environmental work outside of the pandemic is that I think it's often not considered as important or as legitimate or as real as other fields. I think that there's a lot of uh, stigma against against talking about personal connections to things or talking about the environment or or this work that we're doing, I think I think has its its stigmas. And one of the things that the pandemic enabled was for people to really reflect and connect. I mean, there was worldwide pain that was being experienced in a similar way that hadn't happened in a long time. So that, that ability for people to reconnect, I mean, I had never seen as many people walking outside on their bikes, learning new things, learning how to rollerblade or, or do like, there was like, everyone was outside. And it was really interesting to see how many people kind of flocked to, to, to Freetown Farm who might've not come, who were, looking for opportunities to engage with people and to engage with the environment. And I think it, at least from what I've observed in my own community, it kind of provided another sense of legitimacy where people were able to really connect with themselves and their values and see that the work that we were doing was so important. Um, and I think that the research with which Kiara is so involved in and, you know, knows so much about and has conducted so much of it, um, 
the research showing the the benefits in so many different ways of of nature and, and interacting with nature from a young age and you know in there's i mean she can i don't know what detail you might want to go in about that but um it's it's real it's like very very compelling very intense it's um and and that's what we're based on right so so we are based on a farm but it's more of kind of the home of cei which is a research-based scientific backed or nonprofit. Um, and so what we're doing isn't just feel good stuff. It's also scientifically, you know, supported feel good stuff, which I think is really important. Um, and I think that the pandemic was kind of was able to shine a different light on the work that we were doing. I like the characterization of scientifically backed feel good stuff. <laughs> uh, that's a really, that's a really nice way to put it. And a truly, in a, in, a, in a truly accurate way to put it. That's one thing I, I've ended up asking a lot of like professors in my school. And like, we've had some talks um, for like this core pathway program over at Georgetown. And like, I pulled the question to like this panel we had, I was like, how do you, like as academics, how do you make your work in the environmental space tangible? And like, it was the one question where people were like, had to take like a full 30 seconds to like think about because a lot of the time, and I'm noticing this a lot more, and maybe it's exacerbated by the pandemic, but, or maybe it's just because of, I'm, this is my first introduction to real, like real academia. Like there's this really big disconnect between what's happening in the so-called ivory tower of, you know, universities um, and colleges and research institutes and like things happening on the ground. And one of the explosions in my mind that happened when, you know, the, the presentation was going on was like seeing that connection between all these things I was reading in class and the real world impact in the physical world and then the human impact that was described. It's, it's just it's just like a marriage between just incredible like forces. I just find that amazing. <laughs> It is pretty amazing. And I think um, I love where I went for undergrad and for my master's. It was a wonderful school. I've actually been feeling super nostalgic for those times. But the um, kind of the academic experience I had of research there actually led me to believe that I didn't like research at all. Like that was not my thing, didn't want to do it. It was incredibly um, and, and purposefully like this, this mentality of the, the researcher should be disconnected from dispassionate about um, their the research subject and this kind of big wall was supposed to be up and I took a long time between my master's and my doctoral degree in part because I was like well I know I'd really love to dive deep into my area of passion but I really don't want to go through that research piece again I can't stand it and I give a lot of credit to Prescott College um, my degree there is in sustainability education in my you know Keel you're talking about like these mind-blowing moments had mind-blowing moments there where they were like, as a researcher, what are you passionate about? And let your passion drive your pursuits and really getting to an entirely different way of looking at being somebody who is um, pursuing research. And not only what are you passionate about, but being really honest about that with your research participants. Like, hey, I'm here because I'm super passionate about this. And there are you know, different protocols you have to put in place to make sure you're not influencing your study, right? But it was um, also really encouraged to take your research question and put it into practice in your community. Like this idea of praxis, it's like the practical application of research. Of research. Um, that was super mind-blowing for me. So the entire nonprofit stemmed out of being encouraged to take what I learned about decades worth of other people's research and find a way to put it into practice for the benefit of my community. And I think if that hadn't been sort of the, the MO of the, of the school that I was in, none of this would have happened. Um, and it's, it's like this incredible thing to walk around and be like, this theory, this theory, this theory says that these things that we're doing are good. And then to see it happen right in front of my face every day. Um, and that's one of the things we're aspiring towards. It's been so busy with the, uh, the purchase and the protection of Freetown Farm, just doing that, but as Veronica said, you know, we're a larger nonprofit and a farm and we have this, this real um, broad mission, you know, to cultivate communities where people need to thrive together and do it in a way that's supported by and contributes to research. 
And so we are starting this whole like research team within our organization to pick that back up and really document what we're doing so it can um, hopefully help to inspire other people to see the, the real credibility of sort of looking at the human nature connection and the impact it has on health, the environment and health of the people who are out there. I had a question and then it left. They're slippery like that. They are. I was, I was just like, oh, this is, oh, but I was like, I was just like, so, I was so like engaged with what you're saying. I was like, you know what? That's okay. I, I'll, I'll just commit that to memory. So, so this is a question um, I made sure to ask and for the other episodes, but it's Women's History Month. And as part of honoring and celebrating women such as yourself, I wanted to ask how your work as environmentalists and community organizers has been influenced by being women and by the women that you've worked with. So um, Veronica, could we start with you? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys, based on what I've already said, can guess who I'm gonna sing praises for, but um, I, I think there's something very, really valuable, the silver lining, I guess, of the way that our society has set up what femininity and masculinity are I think one silver lining of that is that women are kind of given a space to be more vulnerable and connected and genuine and, and emotional and connect to their emotions. And I think the ability to talk with my, my, the people around me in a genuine and connected way has furthered our work so much more because we are honest and open about our feelings and and what this the work that we're doing why we're doing it what it means to us um and where we want it to go I think that was something that I never envisioned being a part of my workplace um and I think Kiara has spoiled me because now I don't think I'll ever be able to find another job that's this amazing and and genuine so I I'm sorry I might not I might <laughs> so maybe I might. don't <laughs> And, and so it's, um, I think, I mean, Kiara has not only shown me an entirely new world in terms of environmental studies, which is not something I was originally pursuing, um, and, and still in terms of my interests, I mean, I majored, I have a BS, I'm graduating this summer with a BS in psychology, um, and I'm taking prerequisites to potentially go uh, and get a master's in nursing. I, I'm not sure exactly where life will take me, but I know that this is where I am now and I love it. And there's, there's something about having a workplace where you are genuinely connected and motivated to, with, the, to, with the things that you're doing that I think is so unique about environmental work and especially when you're working with women um, because of that genuine connection and vulnerability. And I think something also about um, just how Kiara has influenced the field is just that genuine excitement and connection with her work has drawn the hundreds of people, the hundreds and the thousands of people who have come to CEI and joined Freetown Farm. Like it wasn't just because the idea was cool, but it was because the person pitching the idea was so convincing and really made you want to feel that same connection that she was feeling. Um, and so besides just doing all of doing all of the work and doing so much of, of everything that is CEI, all of the people who are volunteering and helping out and making these connections are doing it because they want to. You know, it's not, it's not something they're doing because it's their job and that's how they make money. It's because they genuinely believe in what's happening. Um, and I think that's just, just fascinating. And it's, yeah, before I just go on a tangent of adjectives to describe her. So yeah, she's completely changed my life. And I think the lives, of, I mean, just of so many people who have been out at the farm in one way or another. So yeah. I think you're trying to make me cry, which is, you know. <laughs> That's my goal, yeah. Because <laughs> we can be emotional with each other, right? Um, thank you for that. I'm trying to remember the original question because I'm feeling a lot of feelings about everything that Veronica just said. So my, my journey was... Um, interesting like so my undergrad was undergrad you know there was this kind of an environmental biology sort of thing there was it was pretty like gender um balanced all most of my professors were men and then when I went in to do the um master's of science in environmental engineering there's like mm, 
maybe two women in in my class there it was definitely very much a shift towards the towards the as a masculine space and then I went straight from that to consulting for a large firm in DC and it was maybe like a hyper masculine space from the perspective of how people are expected to be like you are your work person here you are a a doer of the things that need to be done we are um sort of this fragmentation that I think we expect to experience in our lives like you have your home self and your family self and your friend self and your worker self and um, I definitely felt in that job which I learned a tremendous amount from that I had to be my worker self and it was a just about number of hours worked and quantity of dollars managed or earned um, and it was a real rude awakening for as much as I um, intellectually learned a lot and I was doing really meaningful environmental work, but it was, you know, commuting an hour to go into a high rise to sit in a box on a box and it was just absolutely disconnected from the environment. So it was actually, you know, going back to Women's History Month when I became a mom that I was like, enough, you know, becoming a mom was a super transformative moment for me where I was like, I don't choose that anymore. I really want to create a whole life where I can be the kind of present mom that I want to be and actually feel connected to my community and to be doing environmental work that feels like I'm seeing the environment that I'm so passionate about caring for. And so it's just been this real purposeful, fairly slow, very intense journey to try to create that. And, um, and as I've been able to create that, I've absolutely surrounded myself with similarly minded women the board we've just received a little bit more of a, a balance in terms of gender on the board but the board was like you know 80 percent women and um i think there are so many for me where i'm at in my life right now i think there are so many women who had this incredible uh, like brilliance and vocation for what they were doing in a large large number of professions and then when they became mothers it was like how do i do this and so giving women the space to continue to bring their brilliance forward and whatever their talents are um when maybe they can't keep doing the 50 to 60 hour week like corporate job anymore because they've got kids it's been really important to me so you know you got veronica you got erica our interns are predominantly women i think there's um a sort of like incredible thing that happens when you give women a really safe space to um work together on behalf of shared uh, dreams and visions. And there's just like this, this energy and this creativity. And I think a lot of spaces, um, women aren't given that space to just lead. Like our organization is women-led. And, um, and men's voices are very much welcomed and encouraged and invited. It's, it's really, as Veronica said so eloquently, like the diversity of who we have on our team and who we welcome is is critical. It's like biodiversity is essential for well-being and human diversity is essential for well-being. Um, and also we really want to center women's voices and center the voices of people who usually haven't had a seat at the table in the environmental justice space. So um, I really like it. It's my favorite job I've ever had because of the people that I work with and those people um, are mostly women. And so I, I really look around um, me these days and I was reflecting like yesterday was International Women's Day and just thinking about the incredible, incredible, incredible women um, that I'm blessed to interact with all the time. And it's, it's a huge gift. And I think um, there's a certain like both nurturing and like creative energy that can come forward um, that can really make incredible things grow and come into fruition. I love seeing that happen. So, I want I just want to end the uh, episode right there. <laughs> like that is, <laughs> I will I will say that once again I can't speak to what it is like to work directly in the environmental space because I I just don't have the experience. But being introduced to the work through a woman such as yourself, Dr. Diamore, has been at least personally important for me because you speak with so, so much clarity and vision that I can see what you're doing and how you do it. And like I mentioned this in the first like basically fanboy email I sent you like, hey, um, 
you like you were, you connected so many dots and purely by your own experience. And for that, I want to thank you. Um, and I believe that, you know, you do that for a lot of people. And I think therein lies the importance of having women at the lead, having women at the table, um, and valuing their voices, which is just showing people that a lot of things are possible and it doesn't necessarily need to be one way or the other. You've definitely expanded my mind. Both of you have expanded my mind and I appreciate you both for that. On that note, I wanna close with a call to action. So if there's one or maybe a couple practical tips you could give our listeners, what might that be? Just say yes to any opportunity that comes your way any opportunity to meet new people, hear new stories, see new places. It was a friend of mine who, who told me to, to just pop by the farm, see what's going on. And my parents always raised me to, to just try everything, to just any opportunity, just go and check it out. If it's a horrible, it, it'll be a learning experience. If it's wonderful, who knows where it'll take you. And if I hadn't had that initiative, if I hadn't been like, you know what? Yeah, I'll stop by and see who's there. And I'll, I'll, I'll see, you know, what I learned. I wouldn't have met Kiara. I wouldn't have been involved with CEI for, I don't even know how long it's been, two years, maybe more or less. I mean, I, I never would have envisioned myself working for an environmental nonprofit based on a farm. That's just, that was not part of the schema of my life. And just that attitude of seeking out opportunities of just opening the door to new people and new experiences um, is a really invaluable skill. So I would I would encourage anyone who's listening to just open their minds to new opportunities and like, like go on Facebook, look up environmental groups, look up like, like plant hobbyists, look at like, you never know where opportunities will come from. So just actively trying to connect and allow yourself to engage with your community. I think I'll double down on that. That's really good. I was going to like drink more water, but it's better. I think staying true to yourself in some way, like really being a student of yourself and, and knowing what your unique um, joys and talents and gifts are and holding on to those. I think it's very easy to um, feel like we need to be funneled in really particular directions to kind of succeed by some sort of like external metric, but holding on to that heart piece, whatever that may be, and finding a place for that in your life. And then from that clarity, being willing, like Veronica saying, to sort of take risks, take leaps. Purchasing Shaw Farm was like the biggest leap of faith of my entire life. And um, it's been a life changer. It was not something, again, it wasn't like in the plan. It was an opportunity. It was literally a random email that said, I hear you're looking for a farm and being willing to like envision a different path. Yeah, uh, it was a real leap of faith, but then it also couldn't have been done without community. So I think it's it's knowing yourself, holding on to that, being willing to kind of open those emails or take those those risks and explore those opportunities, and then building that community around yourself so that you can achieve things together. I think one of the best proverbs, and it's an African proverb, is like if you want to go far, you go together. Um, if you want to go fast, you go alone. So I think doing what Veronica is saying and like try to figure out what brings you some joy and then find people in your real lived community where post COVID you might be able to like see them in real life where you can pursue that joy together. I think you can accomplish a tremendous amount. And then Amy, I do have to just like always say like, just go outside. I think it's been a really hard year, like profoundly hard year. And there have been days that have been very, very low. Um, I think for me and every else and if I can remember even if it's just to go sit on my front step for five minutes it shifts things and Akil you mean you mentioned like evolutionarily like we grew up and evolved in connection to nature so it's like hearing the bird song or feeling the breeze it literally shifts our brain and there are studies behind that that shows how important it is so in these really difficult times I would say that um, a practice of even trying to be outside for five minutes a day whether it's on a patio or even sitting by a window, you know, and, and giving ourselves a chance to see that we are a part of something bigger than like the laptop right in front of our face or the, you know, the iPad or whatever it is, um, can help us stay whole and healthy through real challenges. And then as COVID eases, making those connections and go meeting that new person or finding that new place. Um, I think that's where the joy is, you know, the joys in the relationships, the joys in the, the real lived experience, it's in getting your hands dirty or making something together. So uh, 
go for it. And, you know, and from an environmental perspective, that's how it gets done, right? You find somebody of a shared passion and you decide to write a piece of legislation together or to encourage people to change their buying habits or you decide to, you know, change your eating habits within a team of people who are all going vegan or like whatever it may be, it's just easier to go together. Akil, you are an inspiration. I'm so glad you're doing this with us and going back to Women's History Month, like when we're looking at the next people in the Howard County community to invite them to the Community Blooms podcast. I mean, it really is women leading almost every single nonprofit that I can think of um, to invite into this conversation. And so I'm excited to hear from them. And you do such a beautiful job of, of leading the discussion. Um, we're really, really excited to have you and cannot wait to get you on the farm. We're going to get you in the, we're going to fill it with dirt. <laughs> Um, so it'll be good. I've got my dirt suit right next to me. I'm ready. <laughs> You're ready to go. Shoes, dirt hat, even though I can't wear hats. Um, as soon as you're ready, you, we have a spot for you. So we'll make it. We'll make it a three dimensional as soon as possible. Awesome. Well, thank you two so much for this episode. Um, for this conversation, it was amazing, and I really hope that whoever's listening uh, that you check out. Uh, the Freetown Farm. I'll link all the information in the show notes. And yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. You can find out more about today's guests on their social media and the websites we've included in the show notes. If you are part of a community whose environmental work you'd like featured on our podcast, send us a message at communityecologyinstitute.org. Also, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Community Ecology Institute. We'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to Community Blooms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or really anywhere else that you get your podcasts. So until the next time, use your point of view, do what you can do, and strive to make sure your community blooms. Peace.